Okay. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. So, as John comes to land in this letter, uh, I think he brings us to a point where, uh, verse 13 I think is a kind of a summary of what he's said in a, uh, previously in the letter. Uh, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then in some ways he takes an interesting turn in verse 14 by saying, kind of jumping right in and saying this is the confidence we have in approaching God. And I don't quite know, if I'm honest, why he takes that turn. Confidence appears a number of times in the letter. Um, And it may be the case that the reason John turns there uh, is because prayer is is the point where uh, our relationship with God reaches a kind of climax. Uh, that we, uh, that John can say, we the confidence that we have through Christ and what I've been to, what I've been spelling out in this letter m- means that we can approach God and we can talk to Him and we know that He hears our prayers. It's a way of saying everything that hindered that relationship with. God has been resolved and we can have face to face with God. And so he then says, uh, so he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. And then he unpacks what that confidence is. And he says, this is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So, coming to the end of the letter, kind of summing up the confidence that he hopes that the believers will understand for themselves, and he's saying that we have, and he says it consists in heard prayer. 
And then he says, we, but he says within that, uh, we, we know that whatever we ask, he hears us. But then he qualifies it with according to his will. So it can't just be um, any prayers that we ask. Uh, it seems to be that somehow all of this is hanging off um, this little phrase, according to his will. And so one of the questions is, uh, does John mean a known will in the, in the sense of, you know, if we ask a prayer and uh, provided we know what God's will is based on scripture, or is it the case that John's saying, um, uh, if we ask according to his will, we don't really know what it is, but we're having a stab and we're going to see what he chooses to play out in history. Um, I, th- I don't actually know, uh, but I think that what he's saying uh, is that if we ask according to his known will, which he's given to us in Scripture. And so, uh, presumably, the, uh, uh, the application for us is to seek his will in Scripture and pray according to that will. Romans 8.26 that we, says that we don't always know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us. Um, uh, Jesus taught us in his prayers, uh, the kind of uh, prayer that we know, out the Our Father prayer, or the prayer uh, that the Lord would send workers into the harvest field, are two other ways um, that we might know what the Lord's will is in prayer. Uh, Paul's prayers offer a good example of how to pray. And so perhaps John's saying, um, uh, giving us guidance that those prayers, as we ask those prayers, um, we know that we have what we ask because, um, because we are asking according to the Lord's will. They're things that he has uh, designed for us to pray. Um, which means that this uh, section where he says uh, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, uh, presumably then uh, doesn't mean if we ask the desires of our flesh, um, you know, uh, that he will grant them to us. Uh, because we know that he's already said uh, that we should be avoiding uh, the desires of the flesh. Um, and we also know that it's not an unqualified anything because Jesus refuses uh, a request of the apostles. Uh, there's a time when they come to him and they say, we want, um, Jesus, we want you to grant us anything we ask. But uh, the Lord says, no. Um, or it's the case that James says, sometimes you ask and you don't have because you ask with uh, wrong motives. So what, what we have here from John is not everything there is uh, that the Bible says about prayer. Uh, but he does want um, the hearers and us to uh, be encouraged. Um, he wants us to be encouraged to know that because of what Christ has done, we can come to the Father without any hindrance. Uh, and we know that we have an audience with God, uh, which is a remarkable thing. And it might sound a little bit like arrogance in our day that we could actually talk to God and that he might hear our prayers and answer them. Um, Who are we to say that we've got this uh, ability to be able to talk to the creator? Um, But the the level of the boast um, highlights the work of Jesus and how sufficient 
his work is. So that then takes us to the next section, which I think is John giving some direction for how we should pray. So if you look with me in verse 16, uh, because we might think, okay, that's great, we have whatever we ask, we ask according to uh, his will, and he grants us the requests that we have. Um, But I think then John steers those prayers in a particular direction. Again, it's not the only thing the Bible says about this, um, but at least here, this seems to be one place that we can direct our prayers. So look in verse 16, he says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them eternal life. So why would John be taking this turn now in the letter? And I think the reason he's taking this turn here in the letter is because um, uh, based on the things that he said previously, it's likely that among the hearers there are people who think to themselves, oh no, I've sinned, what now? Or, oh no, there are people in our midst who have sinned, what now? Because John's been saying things like, whoever has been born of God doesn't sin, Um, He says things like, whoever is a child of God loves the brothers and sisters. He says, we know that we are of God because we we live righteously uh, and those who live unrighteously are children of the devil. And so presumably um, the letter has raised this issue of, oh, hold on a second, there are people in our midst now who, based on what you've said, John, um, we're recognising are sinners, and who themselves presumably have been convicted and felt, oh, I'm a sinner too. And so John comes in to address this issue. He's addressed, he's he's, uh, explained what a sinner themselves should do earlier on in the letter with those um, verses that we know fairly well, which are uh, 1 John verse 9, if we Uh, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sin, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, right? So that's the person who has sinned. Uh, John's explained what their duty is, that the sinner should confess their sin. But here he turns to uh, a different situation. This is the situation of those in the community who see other people sinning. You see? So what do we do now, as we've seen other people sinning? And it's interesting that, God, uh, that John uh, takes this privilege of prayer that we have with the Father and he directs it towards building up and helping uh, the community, helping the church, um, which is a good instruction for us. And so John says, effectively, uh, you, you see a family member sinning, And you uh, condemn them. No, he doesn't say that, does he? But isn't that uh, a tendency? Or he says, you see a family member sinning and you uh, avoid them. Or you see a family member sinning and you ignore it and hope that it goes away. No, John says, you see a brother or sister, uh, commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray. You should take that privilege of being able to talk to the Father and direct it 
towards uh, brothers and sisters in the community. There's a couple of points here for reflection for us that might be helpful. The first thing is that this is a New Testament pattern, isn't it? It's a New Testament pattern uh, that if you see a brother or sister caught in sin, that we, as the church family, help. And it's a really good instruction for us. I'll just point out a couple of other places where we see this happening in Scripture. Uh, James 5, verse 19 to 20 says this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from, from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And interestingly, uh, that, there, that section there in James is at the end, and it's got those other well-known verses about Elijah being a man just like us, who prayed earnestly that it wouldn't uh, rain, and it didn't rain, and then he prayed again that it would rain, and it did rain. And the context of Elijah uh, in, um, in Kings, of the situation, is that um, his... his uh, uh, that, that scene of him praying uh, for, the, for the rain to stop and then you have that thing with um, uh, the prophets of Baal, that challenge with the altar, is that he actually turns Israel back to the Lord. And so there's a context there of prayer again. Uh, there's a kind of a, a nexus of ideas where prayer again is bringing people back to the Lord. And so um, John, uh, John's thought maps on to James's thought as well. Uh, we also see this um, uh, supporting one another in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Uh, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, again, 1 John is not comprehensive in how we should go about uh, dealing with sin in the community, sin of others, um, but it does give us a good uh, line, um, a, good, a, good, a good piece of how that happens. We should pray, we should use that privilege of access with the Father to pray for our brothers and sisters. And so just a, mo- a pause for thought here is, who might we need to pray for? Perhaps that's a good thing to, for us to think about. Is there somebody that we actually think, you know what, actually there's somebody that I need to pray for? And another helpful thing about uh, being confronted by this tonight in this text is that it's perhaps, um, it's perhaps something we need to be reminded of when we think about sin in the Christian community. Perhaps we need to be both shocked, some of us, and not shocked. What do I mean? I suppose that the two tendencies with respect to sin in the community is to be on the one hand so lax and so so chilled about it that sin actually doesn't shock us. That we've become so accustomed to sin that we think, oh yeah, that's what Christians do. But actually, no, we should we should tremble. We should tremble that sin and we should pray. Or perhaps it's the case on the other side that we... Um, have so got ourselves in a position um, that we hear of sin in the community and it totally derails us. But on on that side, we should 
we should be, be we should be prepared. There's going to be sin in the community, and so we should we should pray. It's something that the Bible anticipates. Even our Lord Jesus said, you know, to uh, Simon as he's talking about forgiveness, how many times? And he says, seven times? No, 70 times seven. Jesus anticipates there's going to be sin in the community. Uh, but he certainly doesn't say that we should... Um, is coddle a word? We shouldn't coddle sin in the community. We should pray, we should pray about it, and we should seek to weed it out. And so what does John say if we turn our prayers to our brothers and sisters who are caught in sin... And that's where there's a remarkable confidence that he then expresses, which he'd mentioned beforehand, didn't he? Where he said, if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us and we have the things that we ask. And look at that that confidence reiterated um, in this next uh, line that he says here. He says um, in verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and and God will give them life. That's great, isn't it? It's quite a confident statement, really. God will give them life. And presumably, John can speak that way is because he knows that people who are genuinely children of God, that God will keep them and he will give them life. And so that should, that should encourage our prayers for brothers and sisters as well. We can pray with confidence that the Lord will keep his people and he will use us as the instruments in those purposes of his. So we have a really um, special and important role to play in our prayers for our brothers and sisters, which is a really good encouragement. But John says specifically, sins not to death. And perhaps you've noticed that yourself in there and thought, okay, that's nice, Dave, but I haven't quite been tuning in because I've been thinking about uh, John's qualification, which is specifically if you see a brother or sister sinning a sin that doesn't lead to death. Now, what is John saying? Let's try in a few minutes to get some clarity on this. What is a sin not to death? Now, I just put a little, uh, what's it called? What are those things where you like have a little footnote, a little clause, like a get-out clause, that um, though I'm recorded, uh, don't put it on my record. Okay, so I'm going to be tentative, but I'm going to try to put some parameters on it, and I'll give it a crack, give it a, have a bit of a stab at what I think. Now, so, what is a sin to death? One, one uh, side of our parameter is, is perhaps helpful to think about what is a sin not to death. So there are two types of sin that John says are possible. You see, he says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So perhaps in understanding what the sin that does lead to death is, we can, we, we're helped by working out what is the sin that doesn't lead to death and, and use that to help us get a bit of light on it. Now, I think um, it's, it's helpful to note that the family member is the subject of that's the one who's doing the sinning. You see how it says, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin, not leading to death, right? Which means the first point, to, first peg to put in the ground is that real Christians... Right? We are talking about real Christians who actually sin. 
John anticipates that. That happens. And that's not the end for those believers, right? So that that's the sin. There is a sin in there that doesn't lead to death. One, uh, John's already addressed this a few times in the, uh, in the letter. 1.9, as I've already pointed out, if we confess our sins. 2.1, chapter 2, verse 1, where John says, um, brothers, and, brothers and sisters, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. Uh, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Uh, and he also addresses in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, where he says, um, where he talks about Jesus being uh, pure, and he says that, you know, we, we are children of God now, but what we will be hasn't yet been revealed. But we know that when he does come, we'll, we will be like him, because we'll see him as he is. And then he says, um, and whoever hopes in, in Jesus in this way purifies himself as he himself is pure. And so I think there's that, that purifying himself, he doesn't say has purified himself, he says purifies himself. So it's a sense of ongoing uh, work at becoming more pure like Christ is. So you're hoping in Christ that one day he will return and we'll see him as he is, which is pure and righteous. And because we hope for him in that, we purify ourselves as he is pure. And so I think for those reasons... Uh, Christians actually sinning uh, is, is what uh, John says, that's not a sin to death. So there, that's the, the, the sin not to death is in that category. And, uh, and I think that perhaps working out what those sins are, might we might get a clue from John's command earlier on in chapter 2 when he, he only has a couple of imperatives in this letter. And one of them is, uh, brothers and sisters, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. That's chapter 2, verse 15. For everything, if anyone loves the world, but for the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So he gives them a command at that point. Do not love the world. And perhaps that's the sphere that sphere of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that could be uh, the sphere where some of these sins occur. And that's partly based on uh, experience and uh, just considering what, what, uh, what might be uh, different to some of the other sins, to, to the sin that might lead to death. Now, if that's correct, then the sin that does lead to death is either a type of sin, so it's a particular kind of category. This is, this is another kind of parameter to put down, at least one way to pass out what it could actually be, is it could be a type of sin, so there's like an action or something that you, if you do that, that is a sin that leads to death. Or it could be a degree of sin, you see, so it's, it's a sin that's extremely heinous, it's so far beyond what would be considered a, a, a slip-up, as it were, or it could be a state of sin, as in a settled, ongoing uh, a pattern uh, that's more of a, uh, a kind of besetting sin, uh, such as, oh, I keep stumbling on that one periodically over a period of time, but more of a, I'm resolved in this, I'm choosing to go this way. So, I don't know whether that's where it is, but there are three words that might be helpful. It could be a type it could be a degree, and it could be a state. That's the, another parameter as we try and work out and help and land in here. 
the third thing that's helpful to know is that uh, notice is that in uh, 1 John, John has three categories of people. Uh, not just two. John has believers, genuine believers. John has uh, people who are prof- uh, professing to be believers, who are claiming things like, we are in the light, we know, we know God, uh, we don't sin. Um, so these are a kind of people who have, have had a close enough association with the Christian community that they, they at least perhaps think they're Christians or, or some kind of uh, enlightened group um, and they've had enough of a taste of the Christian community that they, they feel that they're associated with that group. But they've walked away um, from the teaching of the apostles. Uh, they've walked away from loving uh, the church uh, they've walked away from uh, confessing sin and uh, they've walked away from core teaching uh, about who Jesus is and what he's done uh, on the cross. That, that's a different, that's, a, that's a, a group there that is different from just the unbelieving world. So we have believers, genuine believers who sin. We have this other group which has kind of left the, the apostles' teaching, left the community um, claiming lots of things, and then we have un- the unbelieving world. And the reason that's helpful is because uh, this sin leading to death might consist in this second group um, and some of the things uh, that characterise them. And in a nutshell, that might be something like apostasy. Now, I know that that probably doesn't uh, scratch all the itches, uh, but... Perhaps that will, we can move forward together. One thing to say uh, is that this has challenged my thinking because in looking at it, it has made me um, go outside of 1 John and to consider this question more widely, the question of what might be the sin that leads to death? And it's connected to a question of is there a point in the life of a person when they go beyond the pale, as it were, where they have... Uh, in previously, I've, I've said, no, death is the point uh, where, you are beyond, where you're beyond the, uh, the pale. And that's probably where I still land, but I do need to wrestle with texts like this and be willing, ready to have my view challenged. Uh, other texts that are worth um, putting into your memory bank... Uh, and looking up for yourself, are texts in Hebrews, so Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4, 10 verse 26, uh, which speak of land that drinks the rain often uh, and doesn't yield any fruit but yields thorns and thistles, is worthless and near to being cursed. There is, uh, there is the reality that Jesus actually does say to his apostles, uh, you know, when you go into one town and you, you preach the gospel and when they refuse, shake the dust off your feet and leave the town. Um, there is... Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 16 and the Lord says to Jeremiah I want you to stop praying for these people and so the Lord has done this in the past he has he has said I've I've shut the door on these people and stop praying for them um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 22 um, cursed are those who do not love the Lord Jesus cursed be those people uh, so those are some uh, some texts to wrestle with, uh, and some, yeah, some uh, a weighty topic.
Uh, one thing at least it sure does, it might knock the smugness out of me perhaps, elevate gratitude and maybe it puts a little bit of sobriety uh, in me that, yeah, this, this, um, the danger of the hardness of our hearts. Um, again, another one was Peter talking to Simon the magician and he says, pray that God uh, might uh, that that uh, that God may grant you repentance. Don't put that on the record. This is this is not this is not my official position. These are thoughts uh, wrestling with this text with you. Now, I guess the one important thing for us to to recognise is that how, whatever wherever we land, we need to be able to still say that Christians. Genuine Christians do sin and that God restores them. So John then says, so he explains, for the sin to death, you can pray, pray for brother and sister sins not unto death. But then he says, uh, I'm not saying that you should pray for the one who does sin, the sin unto death. Just a couple of very quick comments on that before we uh, take our final turn is uh, he doesn't say don't pray for those people. He just says that sin, the sin that leads to death, that's not the one that I'm talking about right now. And it might be the case that he does that because he's spoken with such confidence about the sin that doesn't lead to death. He said, and God will give that person life. And so it may be the case that he says, just clarifying that level of confidence, I'm not saying that concerning that sin that that does lead to death, which might be a kind of false believer. I'm not saying God will definitely give that person life. You see? So, but he doesn't say, don't pray for that person. And so in a way, he's done quite quite a... uh, uh, The way that he's phrased it is quite precise and what it does is it allows the freedom to pray for people but it also allows the freedom to cease to pray for people. Which again might be an interesting thing to note uh, because he's not saying that's what I'm praying for. Now that may be the case that what John, that, uh, for why John has done that. And it may be the case that he's done that is because this middle group of people are actually dangerous. And that's a thing that we easily forget. We can forget that the way that the Bible talks about this middle group of people who have a, we have a Christian mask, we know Jesus mask, we know the light mask, um, especially those that have come out of the Christian community often characterised as false teachers and wolves. And Paul can even say, if anyone comes to you preaching a gospel other than the gospel that I preach to you, let them be cursed. And so that is strong language, and perhaps that is help, that's perhaps uh, some language that we need to hear, is that we mustn't, we mustn't mess with, uh, with the weeds in the garden. We just mustn't do that. Uh, the Bible treats um, uh, false teaching as very, very serious. And so in our final turn, one of the questions is, but what about us, John? 
What about us? What about that danger then, you see, of committing that sin that leads to death? And I think John says, I think John brings a comfort to say the regenerate don't sin. Look what he says next. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Now that is a really beaut statement. And we have to lay hold of that and put all of these statements next to one another without elevating one of them too high. You see, we know that anyone born of God does not sin. It says here, continue to sin. For the Greek nerds among us, um, it doesn't necessarily say that. It's allowed to say that. And the only reason I flag it up is because um, what they've done there is they've said... So Greek allows you to do that, right? That's an okay translation. Um, uh, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily say that. It just says, we know that anyone born of God does not sin. Right? Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is because I think what he means is... So the translators here have said the way that we differentiate sins that Christians do and and this kind of other sin is that Christian sin is not a continuing to sin, whereas the other sin is a continuing to sin, and Christian is more, you might call it, an occasional sin or or something like this. But I think that what Paul's talking about, uh, sorry, John is talking about here, is um, does not sin that particular sin that that I've just described. And I think that's because Jesus protects them. So the one who is genuinely born of God doesn't sin and the one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. And so that's our, as we come to our final point here. Jesus protects those who are born of God. This is uh, the same type of thing that um, 1 Peter talks about. You who are kept by faith, by God's power. Uh, Jesus spoke of exactly this this same thing in John uh, uh, chapter 10, where he says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so, John is saying the same thing here. Jesus keeps the true believer. And Matthew 24, 24 says the same thing. Uh, Jesus is saying, many false Christs, many false prophets will come and they will try to deceive even the elect. If possible, even the elect. And And the assumption is that they won't be able to because uh, they're protected by Jesus. Uh, we are out of time. And so we will, we will close uh, with that thought. We are protected because um, Jesus has brought us out, or already brought us out of the power of the evil one. Uh, and that's verse 19 and 20, and that's where he finishes. We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Right, so that's the where we were, but, says John in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true 
And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. We've been delivered from the power of the evil one. Jesus keeps the believers safe. He will hold on to you. Uh, He will keep you uh, till the end. And so true believers don't sin in that sense. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll uh, sing some songs and pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Um, Lord, I just uh, commit this whole thing to you and I pray that uh, any words that I've said that are helpful uh, would stick and you would move us towards a greater knowledge of the truth and of your son Jesus. I pray that any words that I've said that have not been helpful or true, that you would uh, cause them to be forgotten. Uh, Please grow us in our knowledge of the gospel and of how we are to live as your people. Uh, And please... um, Yeah, bring your truth to bear on our hearts. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. We thank you uh, that you do keep us, Jesus, uh, that we we don't have to be afraid of the evil one, that we are protected from him uh, by you. And so we sing uh, of your uh, protecting power now. Amen.